It's summertime. And summertime, especially where I work, means a few things. One of them is squirrels running around outside our classroom door, our windows. And when the squirrels start to run, you know that romance is in the air. <laughs> it's not like, it's not like Dallas where it's, you guys are just hot blooded all the time because it's so hot. We, we live under blankets of snow for months and months and months. And so the leaves start to turn green and the squirrels start running. And then you see the students start running after each other. And by June, they're engaged and it's time to get married. Now don't laugh. No cracks about Emmaus Bridal College. This happens, this happens at Texas A&M. It happens at that other school. They just don't get married. Now, at Emmaus, at Emmaus, these kids are 18, they're 19, they, they want to get married right away. So every summer it's coming along, and we're thinking about marriage. And we'll turn down five or six wedding invitations in the summer. And we'll pick a few and we'll go to them. And every summer it seems like we're at a pile of weddings. And I don't know about you, but every time I go to a wedding, I come away feeling happy for them and sort of really introspective. I sit there and I watch these kids say these things to each other. And I say, well, good night. That sounds kind of like what I said way back all those years ago. Now, for me, it was only eight years. Uh, no, I'm sorry. I was here, married eight years, but it's been 14 years. Now, that may surprise some of you. been married for 14 years. I still remember Karen Feltz rebuking me for speeding past the old church when we were at the other building and almost running over. I had lots of curly hair. Gary was still persecuting me. But it's been a long time. So as I approach this text, I feel like, okay, I've been around the block once or twice. Once or twice. Not near as many times as most of you. But if you would, take some of this message as a young married man saying, hey, let's do this and think about this again. I'll do, I'll perform two weddings this summer. And as I stand there and recite these vows and the, these young men and women will recite them back, I can't help but saying, how have I done in these last 14 years? And so every wedding becomes sort of, ooh, Okay, I'm glad for you, but I gotta go take care of this. Because something wasn't quite right. Right? They say, love, like Christ, oh, how's that going? And I hope my wife is saying, well, I'm supposed to honor and obey and submit. And I'm thinking, have I been honorable, worthy of that kind of... And each wedding becomes an opportunity to reflect on my marriage. And inevitably, we turn back to Ephesians chapter 5 a key central teaching passage on the marriage relationship. And one of the first things we see when we get to the end is that it turns out your marriage is actually not about you. Tell that to a 19-year-old woman planning her wedding, right? There's a reason they call them bridezilla. You think it's about you. And the poor guy is just sitting there, I'll just do whatever you say, honey. And they, they get him trained early these days. Right? I'll just do whatever you say, because it's all about you, and everybody, it's all about you. No, it's not. It's not about either of you. It turns out, surprisingly in Paul's argument, that your marriage is actually about somebody else's marriage. Thank you. That's kind of that's strange. I thought it was all about me. And so what I'd like to do with this passage is start at the end. 
It's kind of like a movie. It opens with a bang, everybody's dead, and you're wondering, what happened? And then it comes up on the bottom, 24, hour, 24 hours earlier, 36 hours earlier, two weeks ago, and you work yourself from the end, and you come back, and then you, oh, now I get it, that was really cool. Well, Paul didn't write it that way. But I think we've run over this text so many times, that lest we come at it again and say to ourselves, well, I know this one. Bob taught it last year, and that Sanchez boy, we remember him when he first showed up. (laughs) Let's start at the end and work our way forward and see where we get. Let's begin in verse 32. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. In the immediate context, he's referring back to this strange principle, this strange reality that a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they'll become one flesh. But in the larger context, as you see in this whole chapter, the relationship between Christ and the church is the main theme over and over and over again. And so his, his end point there in verse 32, I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church, reminds us off the bat what's going on in your marriage is about more than just you. God intends your marriage to reflect the marriage between Christ and His church. And for that marriage to then be a model for your marriage. That's my main point. We could quit right now. I'd have to return the check. But we could quit right now. The main point, if you take one thing away from today, take this away. God intends your marriage to, refl- to reflect the marriage between Christ and His church. And for that marriage to be a model for yours. When you go to a wedding this summer, remember that. As you buy that wedding gift, a Williams-Sonoma or Target, remember, think about that. I'm paying for this gift. Oh, this is for a marriage. Oh yeah, God intends my marriage to reflect the marriage between Christ and His church. When you drive down the street and you see a bride getting her pictures taken, and everybody says, oh look a bride. When you get to the red light, pause, close your eyes and pray. Think, wow, she's getting married. I'm married. My marriage is supposed to reflect the marriage between Christ and His church. Make this really practical. You see the white dress, you see the tuxedo, you think about God's marriage, Christ and His church, your marriage is supposed to reflect that. Can we do that this summer? I'll do a few weddings. I'll go to a few weddings. We'll all be thinking about this together. Now, there are a few implications that draw down from this reality. God intends your marriage to reflect the marriage between Christ and His church. And for that marriage to be a model for yours. Implication number one. You want a better marriage? You better spend some time examining the model. The model marriage that God sets out for you. This marriage thing between God and a group of people is actually not new for Paul. It shows up in the Old Testament with regularity. Perhaps some of the most striking examples would be the prophet Hosea's work, where Israel is likened unto a wife of God, the wife of God, who has gone wayward. And the term for a wayward wife is not, oh sweetie, you're doing a bad thing. Part of the reason we don't read Hosea in Sunday school that much is because of the harlotry words and adulterous words and prostitution words and a wayward wife is a term used to describe Israel in her idolatries. 
A few decades later, the prophet Ezekiel is going to bring this theme up again in Ezekiel 16. And he's going to use language that describes God finding Israel, caring for her, sustaining her, marrying her, and then watching in utter horror as she turns adulterous. That's marriage language. John Edwards is in the news again, and all his stuff is coming out. And his wife is long dead. But everybody remembers the pain that he caused his wife as he was the one who broke the marriage vow. God never breaks his marriage vow. But Israel is described over and over again as an adulterous wife. So the marriage imagery is strong in the, in the Old Testament. And it comes up again in the New Testament. In this case, it's Christ and the church. And so if you want your marriage to be better, if I want my marriage to be better, it would behoove me to spend some time reflecting on what Christ's marriage to the church is like. Don't look at me. You're not going to learn a whole lot from my marriage. I might not learn a whole lot from your marriages. You might look at my marriage and say, well, you've got to do this. And, you know, come on, let's go clean it up, Sanchez. Or you might be inclined to say, wow, they, they do that really well. I need to start doing that. And you know what? You might be totally wrong. Each one of us has a different picture for how our marriages work. It's a unique dance between a husband and wife. And each one learns it on their own. One of the things I hate the most about marriage counseling books is they tend to portray this ideal marriage. And you look at that and say, that's just not going to work for us. Any book on marriage that talks about how to draw your husband out and get him to talk more, we just throw those away. That's just, not, that's just not our problem. I'm waiting for the book that says how to get your wife to talk a little more. That would be worth some money. So each one is different. But Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, has set out for us a marriage that is appropriate for each circumstance. And that marriage is the marriage between Christ and His church. So what we're doing this morning is not another marriage therapy session where you're going to get little tips and ideas. I'm going to point you back to Christ. Because I think if you focus there, you won't go wrong. And I think that's what Paul intends when he draws us out and he says things like in verse 25, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. Immediately, some of you are saying to yourselves, well, I'm not going to do that. She's not worth it. She was when I married her way back in the day, but listen, buddy, there's a lot of water gone under that bridge, and you can't get that stuff back. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. Well, hey, I go to work and I bring the money home. I don't sleep around. I don't cheat. I'm a faithful husband. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. Here, Paul sets before us the supreme example of love. Christ gave himself up for the church. Most of us would say, honey, I'll give myself up for you. If it ever comes to the point where I've got to defend you with my life, I'll do it. Don't ask me to pick up my socks. 
but I'll give myself up for you. Don't ask me to work a little less, but I'll give myself up for you. I don't see that model in Christ. Instead, what I see is that little word for her. For, that word for there, husbands love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, for her benefit, on her behalf. Not just because of who she is, but because of what he wanted to do for her. Look at the rest of the verses. Verse 26, So that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. What Christ did for the church, he did for her benefit. For her benefit. Not for his benefit. For her benefit. What he continues to do in his ministry to the church is for her benefit. I gotta tell you, as a young husband, that just hits me like a two by four. Because there's a lot of things I do that are for my benefit. And I do them, I even do them for my wife, but I'm doing them for my benefit. Not for her. They accrue to me as a benefit, not to her. Julie grew up in a jungle in Africa. I grew up in a different jungle in New York. Stan, that was, where's Stan? That was not nice. Uh, <laughs> she hates the telephone. She grew up in a family. The phone rings. They look at each other. <laughs> Who's going to get it? And nobody gets it. And the thing rings and rings, and maybe they'll get to it later. I grew up in a family where it was war. Forcing, I'm getting the phone. Get out of the way. I want to answer the phone just to say, Mom, it's for you. So in our family, when the phone rings, she doesn't think twice. She doesn't even think that it might be me calling. So the phone rings, and she says, whatever. And when we got married, I could not figure this out. And I thought, you know... You're not in the jungle anymore. You need to be civilized. You need to answer the phone. And so I'll call more often during the day. And if, if somebody needs to make an appointment with the doctor, I'm going to say, here, sweetie, here's the phone. You do it. Why? You need to practice. You laugh. I, I did that last week. I'm still behaving as if it's for her benefit. But you know what? If I loved her, and I know she's got to make a phone call next week, I'd just do it now. Let me just do that for you, because I know you hate it. You're never going to change, and I'll just make your life easier. See, that, that's, a, that's a lowly little example. But it works, because I'm, in my mind, what I'm thinking of is, yeah, you should do this. And I'm even saying to myself, she's going to hate this. I know she's not going to like this. And sometimes it comes out, you didn't make that call, did you? Ugh. When are you going to just get over it and answer the phone? That's not for her benefit. That's for my benefit. And so now I think to myself, and listen, you think about, ideally the Word of God will hit you whenever you study it. I should pick that up off the ground. Why? So she doesn't have to. I'm going to make that call. Why? So she doesn't have to. If you need somebody to get the kids, I'll do it. Why? That way you don't have to. And I start to think now in every area. Wow, why do this for her? Because it's for her benefit. Think of the things Christ does for us as part of His church that are accrued to us as a benefit. 
so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Anybody lament over the sin in their life and long for the day when it will be gone? I'm getting to that point now where I'm saying, wow, I'm going to be 40 this year. My life's half over. I've actually thought of getting a bowl and putting marbles in it. And from now on, you know, like 40 marbles left, just take one out. And as you start to realize, you know, that guy I work with, he's never going to change. He's going to be sinful forever. I'm probably going to be sinful just like him forever, you know, until we... Lord, haste the day when holiness will be worked out in my life. Don't you feel that? Christ is doing that for us. Sanctifying us daily. Initially, when we're saved, there's a positional sanctification, but there's this daily sanctification that goes on, all of it in anticipation of that ultimate sanctification. Finally, no more. You get tired just thinking about it. Verse 27, so that he might present himself, present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. He intends to present that bride to himself. And I, when, when Julie and I were getting married on our wedding day, we did one of these take the pictures beforehand, so we got, I got to see her beforehand. Walked into the room, and I wanted to give her a big hug. She says, don't touch me. Like, what? I don't want you to mess with my makeup and wrinkle my dress. <laughs> like, okay, you want to be presented blameless without spot or wrinkle. Right? Okay, I can understand. I don't like it, but I can understand it. Right? This is what God's doing with us. Christ is doing with us, sanctifying the church to present her to himself in perfect condition. Does that not accrue to you as a benefit? Do you not see that and say, wow, of all the things you could give me, holiness, blamelessness, being fit to be presented to you on that day. That is a huge benefit that He works on our behalf. So, in verse 28, so, that's how, in this way, the same kind of way, boys, husbands ought to love their own wives, and now He adds something new in, as their own bodies. He who loves him, his own wife loves himself. No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church. Why? Because we're members of His body. He likens that marriage relationship, two people have become one. If you don't serve your wife that way, that's like taking a shower and washing one arm and not the other. For years. And you, you hold that one out of the shower. And you never wash it. Why would you do that? What's the matter with you? Why, are you? why do you hate your arm that way? That you would do that? And you look at me like, that's nuts. Of course it's nuts. That's why he says, no one hates his own flesh. Occasionally at the school, we'll encounter some young men and women, women usually, who uh, have some serious challenges. Among them, they cut themselves. Have you, heard, have you heard of this? Cutters? It's very, very sad. And they're damaging their own bodies. And when we sit around the table and we discuss a particular situation... We all sort of look at each other like, what is going on? Because it's just not right for someone to do that to their own body. You might do that to somebody else, but not to yourself. Paul says, 
Husbands, love your wives the way you care for your own bodies. You don't beat your thumb with a hammer just for fun. You don't fall down the stairs on purpose. You don't hurt yourself. Don't hurt that other part of your body. Your wife. Christ doesn't hurt us. Instead, He nourishes us and cherishes us because we are members of His body. Christ is the head of the church. And He cares for His body in a way that is a model and an example for husbands. Now, if you're sitting there saying to yourself, yeah, well, if my wife was as wonderful as the church was, it might be as easy to love her as Christ finds it to love the church. Oh, really? Really? That's what's so nice about this analogy. Have you, have you seen yourselves lately? You may be from Texas, but you still ain't that lovable. And the ones from New York are worse. And the church is not exactly the princess bride, resplendent in all her glory on her own. And yet, day after day after day, Christ responds to her in love. Isn't that amazing? My children are old enough now for me to have said things to them over and over, only to have them forget what I say over and over, so that I have to say, I just want you to remember what I say and do it. At which point I say, I've heard that before. Is that the voice of the Holy Spirit? I just, Christ says to me, I just want you to remember what I wrote and do it. And you start to realize the church is made up of all kinds of people who are unlovable. And so if your wife is unlovable, guess what, buddy? You're part of a bride that's unlovable too, and yet Christ loves you. And so, husbands, if you're looking for a model... If you're looking for someone to emulate, look to Christ who treats the church as His own body and cares for her and everything He does accrues to her as a benefit. This is tough stuff, men. As we see that bride this summer, remember your bride and ask yourself, when I do these things, are they accruing to my wife as a benefit? Or am I serving myself? Going back another 24 hours, Paul begins in verse 22, Wives, be subject to your own husbands. As to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the body. He himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be subject to their husbands in everything. Our culture and society, they hate this passage. I got to tell you, I went to a super liberal school for college. I remember all the radical feminazis. As I do weddings today and I hear these women vow to honor, submit, obey, love, I'm still amazed in my heart that a modern woman would say those things. I'm, even I am infected with this and the church is infected with it too. Our world hates this idea. You just got to know that. It hates it. Do not look to the world for any approbation or encouragement to do this. They will mock you. But notice that Paul links this command 
to the behavior that the church owes to Christ. Once again, it's not about you, and it's not about him, it's about Christ's marriage. And it's about how the bride of Christ is supposed, no one would sit here and say, well, the church doesn't really have to submit to Christ. We're equals with Christ. We have an egalitarian ecclesiology. There's Christ, and then there's us. And we're partners. Oh, really? I don't see any songs about Christ bowing to us. But we sing lots of songs about us bowing to Him. No one would say, the church demands respect from Christ. But are we going to be trampled on by Christ? No. When we approach Christ as part of the church, our response is, we love you. And we submit to what you have to tell us. And so Paul sets that out as an example for this command. Husbands, you have a hard time. Your wives aren't perfect. You get an example. The church isn't perfect. Wives, Christ is the model for who you're submitting to. Now, it doesn't mean that you treat your husband like Jesus. That would have been difficult in my grandmother's case. My grandfather's name is Jesus. <laughs> that would have been kind of tough. It doesn't mean that he suddenly becomes the incarnate Son of God and you owe Him the same kind of obeisance and bow. No, it's not any of that. But the command comes to wives as if from the Lord. And the kind of respect, the attitude that you would grant, with which you would grant that respect to the Lord is the same attitude with which you submit, grant that respect, honor, obey your husband. It's tough. Because not all husbands are outwardly worthy of that respect. And that's why he gives us, he gives you Christ as a model. Because Christ is. Later on in chapter 6, Paul's going to turn to slaves and say, render your service with goodwill as to the Lord, not to men. That is to say, listen, your, your master's not the Lord, but when you render your service, say to yourself, this is not a service for him. This is a service for the Lord. And with that in mind, I can get it done. With that in mind, I can get it done. We know it's tough. We know it's not easy to submit and honor and obey and to do these things. We are sinful men. A few years ago, my wife's grandmother died. And at the funeral, she gave a little eulogy of her grandmother, and she reflected on the fact that at her grandmother's feet while she was in high school, she learned how to be a good wife. She watched her grandmother cleaning up and picking up and doing the things at home that needed to be done. And she asked her grandmother one day, Grandma, don't you get tired of picking up these socks for Grandpa and do these sort of opines? You know, Grandpa wasn't a slob. He, he was just a man. <laughs> and we all laughed and... And her dad and I kind of looked at each other and said, wait, she's only ever lived with two men, you and me. I think that joke's on us. <laughs> it's hard to submit to those kind of men. That's why I think he uses a perfect example. It's Christ. When you are in a situation where you have to submit to your husband, remember, you're doing this as if he was Christ. The world hates that. I'm warning you ahead of time. The world hates that. And because the world hates it, you're going to stick out. 
I can remember working at Verizon when I was down here and overhearing in the cubicle next to me this loud conversation, a woman talking to her husband. Sweetie, no, why did you let them take the computer? Why? Did you back up my files? No, I'm not going to get that hard drive back. Ugh, okay, fine. Lay goodbye, click, and she immediately stands up and turns to her friend. You know, he's like a baby sometimes. I just have to, he can't do anything without me there. That's how the world, women in the world, respond to their husbands. With disrespect, not with love, not with an attitude of submission, with disrespect. I think in that context, a Christian marriage sticks out like a sore thumb. And that's a good thing. Because implication number two of the idea that God intends your marriage to reflect the marriage between Christ and His church is that your marriage is a witness to the gospel. Do you see that? Because Christ's marriage is about the gospel. He came to win Himself a bride. That's good news. He did it by sacrificing Himself. Why? On account of, for the sake of, in the place of, so that she might be sanctified and spend eternity with Him forever. That's the gospel. And it's encoded. It's encoded in your marriage. God created Adam and then Eve, and they were married. And Paul appeals to that text in in Ephesians 5. And so it occurs to me as I'm walking through this, wait a second. From the beginning, when God started marriages off, He intended a symbol that was going to grow through time and reflect His marriage to the church. That means it's a really old symbol. And that means it's been encoded in every culture, anywhere in the world, where people marry. And so when they see a Christian marriage, my hope would be that they would ask, what are you doing loving your wife like that? And the answer is not, have you seen my wife? She's incredible. That's not the right answer. Have you seen, have you seen how much my wife does for me? That's not the right answer. The right answer is, have you seen how Christ loves the church? And you're into the gospel. They're watching. I know. Because I hear about it. Kid sits down in my office. Dr. Sanchez, I I like this girl and I don't know what to do. Why not? Well, because my dad was nasty with my mom. That kid watched that marriage. I don't trust, you know, I'm going to marry this guy, but I'm not sure I really trust him. Why not? Well, because my mom never trusted my dad, never submitted to him at all. My dad was never kind to my mom. Were they Christians? Yeah, they went to church. and they were... Those little eyes were watching and watching. And I guarantee you, all the friends that came over were watching, were watching. The world is watching Christian marriages. And I want to tell you that my hope is what they see will adorn the gospel. It will win them to Christ. Perhaps the most winsome presentation of the gospel you can make is your marriage. Because they might see you and think to themselves, this is more than about just these two people. 
And you might get a chance to tell them about what Christ has done for His bride. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church. He Himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be subject to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself up for her, so that He might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word, that He might present to Himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So, husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of His body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. God intends your marriage to reflect the marriage between Christ and His church, and for that marriage to be a model for yours. You want a better marriage? Spend some more time examining the model. Do you measure up, husbands? When you act, are you acting for her benefit? Wives, when you submit, is it with grudging? Okay, you bum, I'll do it, but I don't like you. Or is it as if Christ Himself were standing there and the submission and the respect you give is for Christ? Your marriage is a witness to the Gospel. Don't forget that. It's not just about what happens behind your, the, the doors in your house. People are watching. And when they ask, be quick to jump to this image. You know why I do this for my husband? Because of what Christ did for the church. It's about this other marriage. And they'll just, their ears will perk up. What's this? Another marriage? And you'll get a chance to talk about the gospel. I had an aunt. This was the wildest thing. I didn't find out until her husband died. My uncle died. My mom says, yeah, your aunt, she used to bring your husband, her husband his food on a plate and then cut it up into little pieces for him. You should do that for Gary. He, 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 he could use that. <laughs> And I, my mouth was on the ground. What? And my mom says, yeah, that was her, that was the way she loved him. That was the thing she would do for him. It was, and his friends, his friends were watching. And none of them were believers. No, no, none of them. My uncle, my aunt, none of them were believers. But they saw this behavior and they said, buddy, you've got it made. Imagine if your unbelieving friends looked at your marriage and said, You've got it made in there. What is going on? And you'll get a chance to witness because of what Christ did for His church. Let's pray together. And let's pray for each other. And let's remember, you go to a wedding this summer, you see a bride this summer, you remember what Christ has done for His church and the love and respect and submission that the church owes to Christ. Can we do that? Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for sending Your Son. We thank You that You loved us and continue to love us. We have not, as a body, as, a, as the body of Christ in this place, we're not perfect. 
We know that, even if we won't admit it to anyone else. You know, we know you know. And yet, in eternity past, you decided you were going to save us. This bride, and you sent your son to die for our benefit. And what a benefit it is. And so we ask for your help as husbands to love our wives for her benefit. As wives who have to submit to imperfect husbands, help, help us, help my friends who are wives to see Christ and to do what you command as if he were standing right there. Father, we pray that marriages, our marriages, would be a powerful testimony to the gospel. We even ask more specifically that even this summer, somebody would ask about our marriages. And when that moment comes, help us to remember, it's not about our marriage, but it's about the marriage between Christ and His church. And give us an open door for the gospel. I thank you for this body and for the impact they've had in my life, my wife's life, the lives of my children. We just ask for your blessing on them. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.